It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baird. New details may come to light this week about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings and President Biden's alleged involvement as the House Oversight Committee has subpoenaed Biden business associate Devin Archer after he alleged President Biden sat in on dozens of his son's business calls. Though the White House still insisted the president had nothing to do with his son's overseas business, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said this. Um, uh, Chairman James Comer today says that the oversight committee, excuse me, has evidence that the president in the past communicated directly with foreign business associates of his son Hunter Biden many times. Curious if the White House and the president still stand behind his comment that he's never been involved and has never even uh, spoken to his son about his So I've been, I've been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president ha- was never in business with his son. I just don't have anything else to add. Former President Trump faces his own legal challenges as special counsel Jack Smith has reached out to Georgia Governor Brian Kemp as part of the probe of the former president's alleged attempt to overturn the 2020 presidential election. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel. Founding editor of the Washington Free Beacon and AEI resident fellow Matthew Connetti. Democratic strategist, co-host of The Five, Jessica Tarloff, and Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. Chad, it seems like uh, there are bits and pieces in this investigation. More and more kind of drips out. And now the House Speaker is definitely talking about all of this differently, mentioning the I word when it comes to President Biden. And we're not there yet, but he's talking about it more. He's definitely changed his tune a little bit. He kind of cracked the door open a little bit last week when he indicated that he would be open to possibly impeaching Merrick Garland, the attorney general, uh, over the Hunter Biden investigation, the uh, implication being that he put his hand on the weight of the scales there about how they handled and prosecuted um, Hunter Biden, uh, basically saying that, you know, he should have been facing a felony charge and not a a misdemeanor plea deal. Uh, And so he said if if it's found that he lied to the public, Merrick Garland, he would move forth with impeachment. He kind of indicated on our air and then also a couple of times in the hallway just today to me and others that he said this looks like it's moving toward an impeachment inquiry. So I pressed the speaker. I said, well, where do we stand? What does that mean? What steps have to happen? And he said, well, we are in no different position now than we were a few days ago. And he's right. And here's what has to happen parliamentarily and mechanically. You would have to have a vote in the House to launch an impeachment inquiry. 
Then you would have, you know, a few months of this. You might remember this in the fall of 19, early 2020. There were depositions before the Intelligence Committee, hearings before the Intelligence and Judiciary Committees, and then they brought this to the floor in 2020, early 2020, with former President Trump. So we're a ways from that. But here's what happens. There's an old expression that when you think you're getting chased out of town, get out in front of the crowd and act like you're leading a parade. So Kevin McCarthy saw his conference going a certain direction here. And, and what's interesting is that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, when she was the speaker in 2019, did almost exactly the same thing. She said no to impeachment for President Trump for quite a long time. And then she started to see moderate Democrats from swing districts pushing to impeach President Trump. This is after what happened in August of 19 and, uh, you know, the phone call and all that. And so she got out in front of that. And, and it also hinges on something that you and I talk about all the time, the math. It is unclear whether or not they would have the math in the House, four-seat majority in the House, for Kevin McCarthy to start an impeachment inquiry for President Biden, let alone actually impeach him. And you know what else, Brett? Republicans cannot even settle on who they want to impeach. I mentioned Merrick Garland last week. There was an effort by Lauren Boebert to impeach President Biden in late June. Uh, McCarthy was able to kind of push that off to the side. Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, is up for a hearing tomorrow. I'm told by a source that, you know, he's the most likely to be impeached, uh, as uh, Andy Biggs, uh, the Republican congressman from Arizona, put it. He is the low-hanging fruit. They think they have the most on him. Uh, we've even heard about uh, the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia. So whether or not you have the votes for all that, the math is unclear. But Kevin McCarthy politically has to do something to make sure going into the August recess that they're talking about these investigations, whether or not this ever comes to an actual impeachment inquiry, let alone an impeachment on the floor of the House. Yeah, Jessica, there's a lot of Democrats, there's a lot of columnists who say, you know, this is just chasing down the wrong road. Uh, there's not a lot of there there connects directly to President Biden. But as stuff starts to kind of come forward, Maybe he was on all of these phone calls. We don't know. We'll hear from Devin Archer. Mm -hmm. Maybe the money does go somewhere. There was not a business. So are you getting increasingly interested or concerned? Or what do you look at this like? Well, I've always been interested um, because I talk about it on a daily basis. So I think I've had to yeah. be interested, more interested than the average Democrat. Uh, I think that the net level of interest has obviously increased as we've had hearings, as we've heard, heard from whistleblowers, um, who, by the way, are quite credible in their own testimony. It just happens that a lot of their testimony undermined the argument that the GOP was trying to make. Um, so I think that it's definitely correct that uh, Democrats are paying more attention to this. But I don't see the same level of resistance on our side, on the Democratic side, to the idea of laying all the facts out there and letting them take you wherever that road leads, right? When it said, oh, we'll have a special counsel into Biden's handling of the documents, I didn't hear anyone say, no, that's, you know, that's ridiculous. We don't need this. Said, okay. You know, it's not as if this is some kind of Joe Biden cult. Now, he's been in public office and in the public eye for over five decades, and odds, I think, are really stacked against the narrative that he is actually, you know, the head of a, a crime boss family, and no one figured it out until now. But I don't think that Democrats fear the facts about all of this, but we do see it as a major distraction from things that voters are actually interested in. And I was discussing it this morning on America's Newsroom with uh, Dana and Bill Hemmer, 
you see poll after poll after poll. This is not something that rates for Republicans in terms of what they're concerned about. And not that I'm particularly interested in making Republicans lives better or wanting them to win elections. But I imagine if they are cruising into a general election where the main feature of their platform is Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's shady business dealings and haven't put out a solid economic plan, that that's not going to work out that well for them. And I've been impressed and proud of how focused Democrats have remained on issues that matter to voters, which is how, you know, obviously took back the White House in 2020, but overperformed in 2022. Yeah. Matthew, thoughts on that? Yeah, a few things. I mean, uh, first, uh, you don't need a poll. You just need to talk to Republicans, uh, and they are outraged by what they see as a two-tiered system of justice uh, at the DOJ and the FBI. So that's certainly an issue that's animating uh, the Republican uh, electorate. Um, the, the the broader, uh, secondly, that you know, uh, Biden's favorable ratings, Brett have really taken a plunge since he uh, became president. And I think a large reason for that is his dissembling over his relationship to Hunter Biden. I mean, the White House is moving the goalposts so quickly that they're now out of the stadium and into the parking lot about what the Joe Biden's relationship was with Hunter's business. I think that has taken an effect on his approval rating. And so now, you know, he's a less... um, you know, invincible figure or uh, a a figure that's uh, held in great esteem or fondly by the public as a result, not only of some of his policy decisions, but also this emerging scandal. And then finally, just a more broader view, I think the White House felt that the Hunter Biden problem had been taken care of last month when uh, Hunter reached this plea deal with the U.S. attorney in Delaware. And when he also reached the settlement uh, with the mother of his child. Uh, but what we've seen in the, the six weeks since is that um, the problem is not taken care of. In fact, it's growing. And as these uh, hearings continue to take place, as more people come forward, as more evidence mounts, I think this is a very big scandal uh, facing this White House. And I don't know whether they've they've recognized the enormity of it yet. Panel, we'll hold it right there. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Chad, on the flip side, you've got the Trump potential indictment that we're waiting for, the third. Um, It looks like it could come any day now uh, surrounding the January 6th and the election uh, investigation by the special, special counsel, Jack Smith. There, there is not a breakdown of support for the former president, at least in the polls, after each one of these indictments. What about on Capitol Hill and lawmakers who split again, you know, along those lines? Generally, we have seen uh, Republicans who are aligned with President Trump and even some, you know, get on the Trump train, you know, a little more vigorously when they've had these indictments come down. Alvin Bragg up in New York, what happened down in Florida. And so, you know, we've not seen that break. I I think that uh, when I talk to members, there are still a lot of members on the Republican side who are very concerned about President Trump. Uh, They might not say that publicly in their district to some of their Trump voters. Uh, But, you know, we were kind of doing some number crunching, uh, looking at uh, district by district in the House of Representatives. And even though they might be for President Trump publicly, 
uh, it, a lot of Republicans, when you talk to them, they are very concerned that he could cost them that control of the House of Representatives. Uh, I mean, it's a narrow majority right now, four seats. I mean, you could have redistricting be a, a player in that right now, too. But generally, that has uh, you know, not been a, an issue among Republicans. And, and this is where some wonder about Kevin McCarthy's machinations right now, where he has not publicly endorsed the former president, even though he's very close to him. Uh, he said something a few weeks ago that caught some people a little bit off guard, that maybe he wasn't standing as four square behind former President Trump as, as he might. Uh, there was some thought that maybe even this week, this is scheduled to be the last week that the House is in session until about the middle of September, because of the August recess, that there was an effort by Marjorie Taylor Greene and Elise Stefanik to try to expunge from the record uh, the two Trump impeachments. Now, again, it's about the math. You have to have the votes for that. So if Kevin McCarthy can't do that and he can't actually come out publicly and endorse former President Trump, again, because of some of these moderate Democrats, excuse me, moderate Republicans, these 18 Republicans in, in you know, Biden held seats uh, from uh, 2020 and 2022, maybe the next best thing is to use President Biden as a foil. And what do you do? You don't launch an impeachment inquiry, but you talk an awful lot about impeachment and investigations. And that's precisely what's going on right now. Yeah. And Jessica, as much as it's not hurting the former president in the GOP primary, one would think that another indictment would not help him with independence and suburban women, thereby in a general election. But we don't know. Well, we know we know a little bit, right? <laughs> I mean, we know what happened in 2020 and we know what his endorsement meant in 2022, which was like almost certain death. I understand that J.D. Vance was able to win, um, but he had a terrible record. And, you know, Brian Kemp, who's been doing uh, more interviews, the governor of Georgia, has been towing the line about this, saying he'd eventually support him. But it's quite obvious that Donald Trump is not the kingmaker that he once was. And another indictment is coming in the January 6th investigation. And we're probably, at least it's rumored that by August, we're going to have a fourth indictment in Georgia. So we're looking at four indictments. And now, I mean, it feels like a million years ago when we heard about the Alvin Bragg one and everyone's saying, you know, well, this this isn't the best case to do it. And who cares about the hush money payments and stuff like that? But now we're getting to really meaty indictments, right, with uh, more evidence being presented than people who had even defended former President Trump before expected. I'm um, thinking about the Mar-a-Lago documents and the pictures from that and what Jonathan Turley and Andy McCarthy were saying. And certainly I would expect the same response since it's the same uh, person in charge and Jack Smith of what's going to come of this January 6th indictment. So my expectation is that there's nothing that Donald Trump has done since he last lost to sway those voters that went over to Biden in 2020 to come back. Now, there might be people who feel, to Matthew's uh, wording, that there's a two-tiered system of justice, but that doesn't mean that they want Donald Trump back in office or that they're buying the idea that this guy is just a huge victim of so many witch hunts and uh, he would be the you know the greatest Republican president since Ronald Reagan if the Democrats and the deep state weren't after him. And it's just feeding the Democratic narrative about who the GOP is and the kind of people that they want at the top of the ticket. And, you know, I, I saw the Wall Street Journal op-ed that Mitt Romney wrote about some consolidation about within the Republican Party of an alternative to Donald Trump. But it doesn't look like it's happening. Ron DeSantis, that just came out today, look, laid off a third of his staff. That campaign is not what it was supposed to be. And the only person really running against Trump is Chris Christie 
who I don't think really has a prayer of getting the nomination, but I am certainly going to have my popcorn out uh, for when you moderate the debate on August 23rd mm-hmm. in Milwaukee. In Milwaukee. That's right. Matthew, there is this concern within the Republican Party, it's not just Mitt Romney, that that with more candidates, that there is not one solid alternative uh, should the former president stumble. And we should point out he's still leading by 20, 30, 40 points, depending on the poll in the state. That said... Uh, Jessica rightly mentions that Ron DeSantis' campaign uh, fired a third of its campaign staff uh, today, and it does look like they're trying to be leaner and meaner and trying to do more media. We are going to do an interview with Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire on Monday, had been trying for months, and finally said they finally said yes. Uh, worth pointing out that Ronald Reagan fired a large part of his uh campaign staff early in his uh, campaign in 1980 but it doesn't feel like the DeSantis campaign Matthew has has launched very well at least at this point uh no Brett I think that's an understatement I mean he's headed in the wrong direction but the comforting news for DeSantis I don't know whether it's good news is that uh, people have been in similar situations before and have gone on to win the nomination. I'm old enough to remember John McCain's campaign. I covered it in 2007 when he had to lay off basically his entire staff. He kept running. He ended up winning the nomination. I covered uh, Newt Gingrich's campaign. solo on Southwest. Exactly, right. Uh, I remember when Newt Gingrich's campaign in the summer of 2011, again, he fired practically everybody. Then he went on a cruise with Callista. And everybody declared his candidacy over, but he came roaring back in the in the debates, uh, that famous exchange with George Stephanopoulos in the fall of 2011. And he uh, he did very well uh, in the primaries. He didn't win the nomination, but I, I think he exceeded expectations. So, look, it's too early to know what's in the Jack Smith indictment on January 6th. I, I'm not convinced that it's going to be as strong as the indictment on the classified materials. We'll just have to see. It's too early to know how this primary is going to shake out. We uh, we do know one thing, that Donald Trump uh, has been nominated twice by the Republican Party. He served for president his four years. He has changed both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. I think something significant will have to happen to change the tra- trajectory of this race and prevent him from a third uh, GOP nomination. And last thing, Chad, uh, as we talk about what's happening on Capitol Hill, obviously the budget, the you know looming fight uh, that is yet to come on figuring out how to fund the government uh, and government shutdowns is is probably the biggest sort of Damocles over Congress's head. Yeah. And in fact, uh, there was a press conference today held by members of the Freedom Caucus talking about the spending cuts that they want implemented. Uh, the issue here, they have to fund the government by 30th September. That's the end of the government's fiscal year. And they want to fund these government spending bills at levels below the overall numbers agreed to in the debt ceiling package from back in the spring. The House this week is scheduled to try to move two of these appropriations bills, usually the easiest ones, agriculture spending and something called military construction. So just two of the 12. Kevin McCarthy has says he wants to move each of the bills individually by the book. There is no way, unless they stayed in all through August and probably then some, uh, that they could get all this done by uh, October 1st. So what happens is they have to pass some sort of an interim spending bill to keep the government open. Now, Andy Biggs, Republican from Arizona, he said he didn't think that there would be a government shutdown. Bob Good, Republican from Virginia, who's one of the most conservative members of the House, he commented today at length that he did not think 
that a government shutdown was a bad thing. He said, look, what really happens? He says, nobody ever really pays a political consequence. Uh, and again, this will come down to the math. You know, Kevin McCarthy, if he wants to keep the government open, and if they're going to accept something from the Senate that probably reflects some Democratic ideals, does he go out on a limb again and have to, you know, pass a bill with a good chunk of Democrats and some Republicans? That's exactly what got him in trouble with the conservatives after the debt ceiling. That bill passed with more Democrats than Republicans. And if there is anything similar to that, you know, matrix in the in the House of Representatives, that's a problem for McCarthy. So what is he doing? Talking about impeachment. Heading for the door. Uh, Jessica, last last word. Obviously, Democrats want to you know, take back the House, hold yeah. on to the Senate. Um, but the numbers are tough to look at if you look at the states involved in the Senate, at least. Oh, incredibly tough. And, and some of my favorites, like Sherrod Brown and John Tester. Um, it's going to be really, really tough. Obviously, what Joe Manchin decides to do uh, will matter a tremendous amount. Um, I can't really envision, and I am a Pollyanna sometimes about this, with, you know, unabashed faith in the party. It seems very hard to believe that we'll hold on to the Senate. But I do think that there is a big chance, especially with the new re redistricting um, maps that are coming out that will be able to take back the House with that kind of a slim majority. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I doubt that George Santos is going to be reelected to his seat. Um, so we should get that one. But uh, I think a lot of the New York seats actually that went over to the GOP will be back in play for us at the very least. Um, so that's a silver lining. All right, guys, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much. Now a bit of history. On July 25th, 1866, Ulysses S. Grant was promoted to general of the Army by President Andrew Johnson. Grant had led the Union Army to victory over Confederate forces at Appomattox, April of 1865, where he accepted the surrender of the Southern General Robert E. Lee. Grant would later clash with President Johnson over policy concerning the reconstruction of Confederate states, leading him to run for president in 1868, defeating Johnson and becoming the 18th president of the United States. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Matthew, Jessica, and Chad, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.